The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. We're going to change gears a little bit. Uh, Dan, I know, has been um, preaching in the life of Joseph. And uh, when he gets back, I think he's making a transition, at least that's what he told me, uh, to kind of preparing for for Christmas. And so um, I'm going to start him off in that, which is... Um, crazy. We kind of switched this morning. If you didn't know, Dan is uh, down preaching at Emmaus Road uh, this morning, and I'm I'm preaching here. So it's it's good to be with you uh, this morning again. Uh, we're in um, Genesis 17. It's uh, uh, page 11 in uh, the books um, in your Bibles. There's Bibles in the back. You can grab some of those if you don't have one. Uh, but again, if everyone could come on in. That'd be great. Sit down and we can, we can begin here. Uh, so uh, in 1960s, uh, I think it was the late 60s, Stanford uh, did a study on uh, delayed gratification. And so what they did was this, um, they took these kids ages uh, four to six years old and uh, they put them in a room, Okay. And uh, in the room, they put before them um, this marshmallow, okay? And uh, they told the kids this, if you uh, wait 15 minutes and do not eat this marshmallow, we'll double you up. We'll give you two marshmallows. So you'll have two then. But if you eat it, we're not going to give you another marshmallow. So they had video cameras uh, there filming the kids as they waited, and uh, it was kind of funny to see what kids do when they're waiting uh, for something. So some of the kids uh, would cover their eyes like this. Um, some would go over into the corner of the room and like not face the marshmallow and just go away from it like this, you know, in the corner. Some kids would sniff it like this, they'd really close and sniff it. And some kids would pet the marshmallow and be like it was a pet. It's okay. It's okay. And of course, some kids uh, would eat the marshmallow. And what the study did was this. They continued to follow these children uh, later on in life, 10 years, 20 years later after the study. And this is what they found. Uh, The kids that uh, ate the marshmallow uh, earlier um, scored much lower on SAT scores and ACT scores. Um, They usually didn't have as good of jobs as those that did wait, uh, and also um, had more family issues. Uh, so those that waited in the marshmallow actually did better in life because of this kind of delayed gratification. Now, <laughs> we did it. Our church, we handed him out as an illustration last week and then let the kids go to junior church and see what they would do. And of course, all the parents were freaking out whether their kids would eat it or not. Oh, no, my child is going to find out now. But um, all I can say is that I'm sure uh, I would have eaten the marshmallow myself. Um, and I know how chocolate goes in our house. Once it's in the house, it gets eaten right away. So I don't know how you would do, but um, maybe you guys would have problems too. But delayed gratification. I, I don't know if you know this, but we're in a season called Advent. And Advent is uh, a season, basically means um, arrival um, or coming. And it is a season of anticipation 
and waiting. What are we waiting on? We're waiting on Emmanuel. So you see, we're taking that idea of anticipation and waiting through the Bible and building it right here as a symbol of Christ's coming, of his hope upon us. But I want us to think about some things this morning, okay? I want us to think about this theme of waiting in anticipation. I want us to think about it in a few different ways. One, why don't we wait well? Why, why don't we wait well? Second is, why should we wait? And thirdly, is what are we waiting for? As we look at Abraham and Sarah, a story that you guys have gone through before, I want us to think through those questions and think through those things. So let's go into the Word together, shall we? I'm in Genesis chapter 17. Start 1 through 8 and then 15 through 21. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the, their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. God, I pray that it would mold us, it would transform us, that it would not just go in one ear and out the other, but instead we would let it stick through the power of your Spirit so that we would live it out in our lives. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Well, Abraham and Sarah, 
We're going to get back to them in a little bit. But first, um, I think uh, Advent has fallen on hard times. <laughs> I think it's fallen on hard times uh, for two reasons. One, pressure from inside the church and uh, pressure from outside the church. First, pressure from inside the church. Uh, maybe some of you have grown up in traditions where you celebrated Advent. And uh, I know uh, I've heard this from, from people that uh, this kind of tradition and wreaths and those kind of things is a symbol of dead religion. Uh, a symbol of a tradition that is just out of date. And more than that, I, I've heard people say that, uh, you know, Christmas and celebrating Christmas and doing those things, those aren't really try, tied to Christian traditions or biblical traditions, but instead they're tied to the pagan traditions of, of Rome. And people would say that uh, Christmas came because uh, the winter solstice was celebrated that time in Rome in the um, early 3rd and 4th century. And um, what Christians did was, was that oh, instead of having uh, celebrating the pagan gods of the winter solstice, we will celebrate the birth of Christ. I'm aware of those objections, and I just want to say a couple things to them. One is this, that um, there is still historical debate that which came first. Celebration of the pagan gods of the winter solstice or celebration of Christmas. There is evidence that as early as the 2nd century, the church was actually celebrating um, Christmas, December 25th. And it's actually the Romans that saw that the Christians were celebrating this in Rome. They said, we need to have our own holiday. And so that is when that celebration of pagan gods around the winter solstice happened. Second, if you don't buy that argument, second is uh, Jesus himself celebrated holidays that weren't in the Bible. Did you know that? In John chapter 10, Jesus celebrates the Feast of Dedication, which is what? It's what was celebrated on Thanksgiving Day, Hanukkah, which isn't in the Bible. It's actually just in the intertestamental books. And so Jesus himself celebrated traditions that were happening in, among that culture at that time. So Christmas is a holiday that's celebrated throughout our culture, we see. So if you saw that Jesus was celebrating things of that culture, should we not try to celebrate things of our culture too? So that's my objection. Maybe you agree with me, maybe not. So objections of Advent from inside the church. Then objections to Advent outside of the church. It seems that... <laughs> Christmas gets um, pulled closer and closer every year, right? We all get upset when we see that Walmart has started to celebrate Christmas in September or August or whatever it might be. You know, it always becomes closer and closer. And I think an objection from outside the culture is this, is that we seem to be longing for something at Christmas that maybe is not the right longing. A longing for presents, um, a longing for maybe that sentimentality, a longing for time with family that is going to be amazing, a magical spirit that happens at Christmas, eggnog, you know, whatever it might be, there is this longing for something. But is it a longing for the right thing? Uh, um, I find Christmas a season of contradictions. 
Um, yeah, I long for the sweets and the treats of Christmas time, but when I miss, mix my eggnog with Christmas cookies, it doesn't always leave the best feeling in my stomach. Am I, has anyone else done that? I don't know. But that's a bad thing. When I think about, you know, I'm going to go home to my family and it's going to be an amazing time. We're going to have, I mean, we're all going to laugh together. We're going to sing carols around, around the, the piano, and we're going to hug each other. I mean, I'm finally, I'm going to come home, and it's going to be amazing. But something happens, maybe it doesn't happen to you, but I find some of the loneliest times of my year are when I'm with my family, and that doesn't happen. And then there's that sentimentality, you know, like, oh, it's the magical time of the year. I'm going to fill my calendar so much. I'm going to go to parties. I'm going to do Christmas shopping. I'm going to do all these things. I do all these things. And after I've done all these things, I'm left a little frazzled. (laughs) And I am worn out. Christmas seems to be a season of contradictions. What are we waiting for? What are we longing for? Is it those things? And does it actually reach our need? I just, I I think we need to stop hijacking Christmas, okay? And hijacking Advent. I think this season can actually form in us something pretty important. It can form in us the idea that there actually might be meaning, there might be actually purpose in waiting. When we wait, something might be formed in us. Something might happen in us that we need That actually the waiting for Christmas Day, the waiting upon Jesus, the waiting and longing upon things actually can shape us and mold us into something great. You know, a lot of life is waiting. Some of you might be waiting to get done with school, you know. I just want to get out of school. I want to be done with it. Some of you might be waiting to find that job that you really want. I'm waiting to finally get out of where I am now, to find finally a career job, a job that I love. Some of you might be waiting for a relationship. When I finally get married, when I finally get in the right relationship, then it will be right. Some of us are waiting for babies to come and say, man, I just can't wait for a baby to come into our life, to have a kid, then we will be together and whole as a family. I'm waiting to finally be financially free. Finally, when my debts get paid off, when the mortgage is done, when I am free financially, then I will be fine. Some of us say, I can't wait till I can finally retire. Then, when I can go down to Florida, take a break, stop this job, then I will have arrived. Again, my argument to us this morning is this. There actually is more meaning. There might be the meaning in the waiting rather than the arrival of those things. Okay. 
You might not believe me yet. I made my argument, so let's try it out, shall we? Okay, here we go. So why don't we wait? Let's look at Abraham and Sarah, shall we? Why don't Abraham and Sarah wait? Well, I think um, you guys have studied this passage before, so, um, but again, I want to review it, is that I think there was, uh, first of all, they're very old. <laughs> I mean, they're past um, Social Security age. I should say older. My parents don't call anyone old. They're older, okay? Sorry if I offended anyone, okay? They're older, okay? Um, and, but they have no family. They have no kids. They're 75, Abraham was, when God talked to him um, for the first time and gave a covenant to him. And God promised these things to Abraham. Abram at that time. He said, I will make you a father, a father to a great nation. And actually his name, Abram, means exalted father. And more than that, God says, I will make your people so numerous, they'll be more numerous than the stars in the sky. Now, Abram had to have been a little frustrated for a couple reasons. One, the frustration might have come that his name is Exalted Father, and then more than that, God gives him a new name, Abraham, father of, of many. And that's why he kind of laughs there. A frustration that here God has promised these things to him, and it is not there. More than that, in a society, in a culture where childbirth meant everything, it was of uber importance. It showed whether you were valuable as a person or not. To have no kids was not good for them. So here the frustration is just amplified and just turned up. But then on top of that, he has to wait 10 more years and still nothing has occurred. And then Sarai has the bright idea, listen, husband, it's not happening. Why don't you take my servant, Hagar? Why don't you marry her, sleep with her, have a child with her, Ishmael? And then that child will be the promise. So Abram decides and Sarah decides, we're going to take it in our own hands. We are not going to wait upon the Lord. Instead, we are going to do it ourselves. You know, waiting is not a popular sentiment in our culture. It's not because, really, uh, we're taught we can do it on our own. We're individuals. We can conquer what we want to. If we want something, go for it. Why wait? You can get it yourself now. So we cut corners, maybe, to be able to get it. We overwork to be able to get the things that we want. We sweet-talk others or manipulate to be able to get this or that. I didn't, there's no greater place that I saw this happen than in Washington, D.C. Um, we love to bash Washington right now, don't we? Isn't it fun to bash Washington, D.C. right now? I mean, they're spending our money, you know, they can't get anything done, you know, whatever it might be, we... We like to bash D.C. I spent 
um, six years of my life in D.C. working on Capitol Hill and all those things. And uh, I, I kind of learned a few things about the D.C. culture when I was there. And a few things that I learned was this. Um, no one comes to Washington, D.C. saying, um, I'm going to spend other people's money um, or I'm just going to be a bureaucrat and just uh, sit on the system and not get things done. No, they come with ideals. <laughs> but something happens when you get there, and this is my observation about it, is that no one was ever happy in where they were, but they only were happy in where they could be. It was like resume drop everywhere, you know? <laughs> I'm just going to take my resume and take it out everywhere. I'm never going to be happy in my job now. I'm only going to be happy in what can be. So I can have a power in this committee. I can have power in this job. So I can have a position here to finally get done what I want to get done. If only I have this title or this place, then things can get done. Good thing we're not in D.C., right? We're, we're middle America. We're Green Bay, right? None of you guys do that, right? None of you guys think that way. Do you? We don't care about that stuff here in Green Bay. Why don't we wait? We don't wait because we think we can get it on our own and do it ourselves. Second, why don't we wait? We fear. <laughs> we fear that something is going to happen that we don't want to happen. So, if something's going to happen that we don't want to happen, life becomes a chess game. I have to be a move ahead so this doesn't happen in my life. Those other pieces on the other side of the board are other people in my life. So I've got to be able to anticipate how they are going to move. So in order to make sure that bad things don't happen to me, I need to be a step ahead of what people are going to do, of what my boss is going to do, of what other things. I have got to plan far ahead so that I do not get stuck and lose this game of life. I am going to live in fear. <laughs> you don't have to look far to see where that happens in our culture. I mean, soap operas, the real housewives of Orange County. I, I, don't, I don't care what reality show you watch. A lot of people just live that way. I've got to be a step ahead. I will argue that the idea of trying to do it on our own or doing things out of fear all stems from this feeling or this thinking in our head. We doubt that God has what's best for us. We doubt it. We don't want to wait upon him. Instead, we are going to do it on our own, in our own timetable. I don't want to have to wait for what God has. I want to do it on my own. This last week uh, was a, the commemoration of C.S. Lewis. His death was 50 years ago last week. And so I... I like C.S. Lewis a lot. Um, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis books is a book called The Screwtape Letters. Any Screwtape Letter fans? Maybe. Yes, good, yeah. Great book, isn't it? And The Screwtape Letters is an allegory. Um, it's an allegory about um, a, a senior devil writing to a junior devil about how to tempt um, a person on earth. 
And so when the senior devil writes that this is the enemy, he's talking about God. It's a great book in understanding kind of the inside of our thinking and what leads us to temptation. It's a great book. Some short chapters, they kind of each stand on their own. Um, If you ever want to read a book and you just read a chapter at a time um, uh, and just get something out of each chapter, the Screw Tape Letters is really good. But one chapter that um, is, is on the future and getting people, this patient, this human, uh, to tempting him about making him think um, about the future. And screw tape, the senior devil says to Wormwood, the junior devil, you know what you've got to do is this. You have got to make your patient not think about the present, but instead make them think about the future. Because the present, they can control themselves. They can do it on their own. The future, they can't control. They don't know what's going to happen. They have no idea what's going to happen. But the present, they control. The future, they can't. So get them to think only on the future. So here, this is what the uh, senior devil says to the junior devil. I, it's a little heady, but I know we can, we can do it. Here we go. I'm going to read this to you. This is what he says and how to tempt the patient. But we want a man hag-ridden by the future, haunted by visions of an imminent heaven or hell upon earth, a man ready to break the enemy's commands in the present, if by so doing we make him think he can attain one or avert the other. Make his faith dependent on the success or failure of schemes whose end he will not live to see. Wormwood, we want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end. Never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using the pursuit of the future as fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. You know, maybe if I finally have my house clean, (laughs) if I finally get it, I've used this illustration before, I do it all the time because I'm just convicting myself of what I do. So I want to first point all this at me. If I finally have my house clean, if I finally have it in order, then I'll be okay. But in the process of trying to make everything organized around my house, what do I ignore that's right in front of me? My wife? My kids? You know, I am so fearful of a conversation that I'm going to have to have with someone that I will avoid them rather than seeing it as an opportunity to talk to them in the present about what we're dealing with in our relationship, because I'm so fearful of what might happen in that conversation that I don't want to deal with it now. I want to work so hard in my job. I will pursue it such to a degree, so much, that I will ignore the colleagues that are around me in the relationships that I could have at work in the present, just so I can get something later in the future. Please hear this. The loss of an ability to wait 
often brings with it an inability to be fully and joyfully present now. Instead, we are constantly looking backward to better times we used to know and forward to better times that may be coming. The more we do this, the more we miss the present. Not only that, but it becomes hard to appreciate the future moment when it does come. Why don't we wait? We don't wait because we try to do it on our own and we fear what might be happening in the future. So why should we wait? Let's look back at Abraham again. I, I just, it is so amazing to see the vulnerability and sin of these heroes of faith. And you see it in verse 17. When God says, you will have a son, Abraham. Sarah will give birth to a son. What do you see Abraham doing in responding to this? What does he do? He fell, fell on his face and laughed. He fell on his face and laughed. 24 years after the promise that God said he would expand his family, God says, I will by giving your wife a child. And Abraham is going, no way. There is no way you could do such a thing. And then he goes on to God and negotiates with him and says, why can't it be Ishmael? And God says, no, it's not Ishmael. It will be Isaac, your own son. And you will see, this is very important, in Abraham waiting for Isaac, it formed something in him. In waiting upon the promise of Isaac to come, it formed something in him so that when God came to him again and said, what, do, what did God ask him to do with Isaac? Right? You guys are Genesis studiers. To sacrifice Isaac. Did Abraham bulk? No. He said, yes, Lord. I will do what you've asked me to do. Something was formed in Abraham the second time in waiting. You know, when a promise has been given to us, whether it's a promise we're going to have a child or a promise that, you know, God is going to be faithful to us, he's going to love us, whatever a promise might be that is given to us, and it hasn't arrived yet, I think something still is formed in us in that time. There's a seed that is growing in anticipation for that promise. My argument is this. We can only really wait if what we are waiting for has already begun for us. So here, please hear this. So waiting is never a moment from nothing to something. It is a movement from something to something more. It's not passive it's active. What does God say to us in Philippians 1? He says, if I have, be I have begun a good work in you, what will I do? I will be faithful to complete it. Has anyone arrived yet? I want to I see fully sanctified people here at Jacob's Well, because my church isn't. So fully sanctified. Jason Steger is pretty close, everyone. Fully sanctified people here? It is painful to wait in struggling with our sin, is it not? The things we struggle with, 
that we're not there yet. The longing upon trying to finally get over something in our life. Maybe it's not sin. The longing to finally relationships so that will be restored that seem to never be restored. A chronic illness that will I ever get better? A longing, I don't know what you're longing for in your life. But I think and I will argue that God says this. He will make all things new. That hope in that center candle is a hope that God will restore us, restore this world, restore everything around us to be in a place that it was supposed to be. Relationships mended. Chronic illness is gone. Sin in our life, gone. Longing for those things to come. And my argument would be this too, that in the waiting and longing for those things to come, God is doing a work in us and molding in us and creating in us people that we need to be. <laughs> My wife was pregnant four times, okay? I, okay? She's not here, right? So I can talk about her, right? Is this, no, no, Marcia's like, no, you can't because you're going to talk. Okay. I said to this last week too, so she's okay with it. Uh, okay, you could tread lightly. When women are pregnant, it's not always the easiest thing, okay? It's just not, you know? Um, again, I'm selfish. I'm just thinking about how I'm feeling when they're pregnant, not about their problems as being pregnant. But, you know, emotions are heightened. Hormones happen, all those kind of things. And you're just kind of like, I just, and I'm just like, I just want this baby to get out and I want my wife back to normal, you know? But what if I acted that way? What if I said, you know, I don't want to deal with what we have to deal with now when you're pregnant. I just want this baby to come. When the baby comes, then we have arrived. No. My loving Aaron, in the midst of going through, you know, the frustrations of being pregnant, the hormones, the emotions, all those things, it prepared me for something. It prepared me for the emotions of having four girls, you know? It prepared me for the tired, the nights where I'm just tired. It prepared me for when my wife is frustrated with how my girls are acting and I love on her. If we don't take time in the waiting to be molded, we are going to miss out when it arrives in the future and what God is trying to do with us for then. Well, what are we waiting for? We waiting to double up on the marshmallows? Is that what we're waiting for? Are we waiting for the gifts that are going to come on Christmas Day? Are we waiting for an amazing job that finally I will be content? Are we waiting for a spouse to finally get it? What are we waiting for? What was Abraham and Sarah waiting for? Were they simply waiting for a baby? Is that what it was? Is that what this story is all about? Were they simply waiting for a baby? 
Was Israel simply waiting to get into the land? Was Israel simply waiting for King David to finally arrive? Were they waiting simply to come out of Babylon and go back to the land in Jerusalem to have it back? No. They weren't simply waiting for those things. They were waiting for the promise that would come from those things. Please hear me. What was the promise that came from the seed of Abraham? The promise that came was not simply Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Dan, oh, come on, if you were on Dan's preaching log, you know the answers, right? The promise came in the child that would come from that nation. A Messiah, a Savior, a true king, a true one that would rule and would make all things new. The promise and the hope was in that. It's the hope candle, right? Right there, the hope candle. Hope is a word that is bantered around and said so much in this season. But I think our definition of hope might be a little skewed. Hope is something different than wishes. Hope is trusting that something will be fulfilled. But but be fulfilled according to the promises and not just according to our wishes. A hope according to the promises, not simply to our wishes. Do you know what the craziness of the gospel is? (laughs) Do you know what the good news of Advent is? is God sent someone and something to earth that we did not expect. That would shatter our wishes and desires and give us a hope that would truly make things new. That would restore our brokenness because we think our wishes and our desires can fulfill and give us hope. But God said, no, I will give you something. A hope and a promise that will fulfill all those longings. And that is what you are to wait for. Let me land the plane with this. What a hope to shatter the contradictions of Christmas. (laughs) I'm waiting for the gift that will fulfill me and make my life so much better. And what happens? We open it on Christmas Day and it will not fulfill. And that is a sign that there is still one that has and will come to make us new. When we think, if I just fill my schedule with parties, with food, with events, with lights, with sentimentality, I will be fulfilled And then the contradiction is, it doesn't. It's good to know that we wait upon one who will truly fill us. When we think about being around all these people, our family members, everyone that will, finally I'll be home. Finally I'll feel secure. Finally people will get me. 
Isn't it good to know that when those things don't get filled, that we have a king that does get us, that says you are a son or a daughter. In this season of waiting, cling to that. Cling to those things that do not fulfill so that you can then cling to the one that does. So in waiting for Christ, we find meaning to our lives now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, it's hard to wait. And God, I pray that uh, in this waiting that we would cling to Christ and that he would fill us and he would be able to let us know that all things will be made new. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.